let me introduce you to our church in case you've never been here before. The first is that we believe three things, kind of the core of our DNA, and this is the movement that we see in Scripture. This is all throughout Scriptures. This is how God works in the lives of human beings, and it goes like this. First, that there's hope beyond our brokenness. So all of us have a story of being lost. All of us have a story of being a wreck, and and that doesn't end when you become a Christian. It's not like everything's all better. We don't enter into leave it to beaver realm where, you know, cleave is the biggest problem in our life, right? Like we, we actually, we still have issues. And so present in every Christian's life is this understanding that I have areas of brokenness in my life, that there's hope there because God is restoring me. And I can be honest with God and with safe people about how I'm doing. That's what hope beyond our brokenness means. The second thing that we believe in is that we're called to trust our risen Savior. So Jesus is alive, amen? Like he's present in our midst by the power of his Holy Spirit right now. And we're called to trust him, which requires all of your honesty and all of your courage and all of your authenticity. It also means that you stop hiding. It also means that you're no longer in control. Yay! (laughs) So trusting God, that's the same word as belief. That's the same word as faith, right? But trust feels kind of more relational, and that's the point. You have a relationship with God. God does not want you to pretend that everything's fine. Stop it. Be honest about how amazing you are and about how desperate you are. That's the definition of humility. The ease with which you can talk about your brokenness and your loveliness. That's trust. Finally, we believe that we are called right now, right now, to bring restoration to our community. So there we have Luke and and high schoolers who are on the back row there. And, and there's more of them. Um, they hide in the darkness and the shadows, and they don't come out on Sunday mornings that often, but there's more of them, right? And uh, you guys are looking, you look good. You're looking good back there. And so Luke is going to take our high schoolers, and, and they are going to go make a difference in people's lives this week. Now, if high schoolers can do it, and I know they think they can do everything, but let's be honest, they, they can do very little, right? <laughs> Oh, stop it. (laughs) My favorite bumper sticker is hire a teenager. They know everything. Quick. (laughs) Right? So, So high schoolers can go out and have the courage to love someone and make a difference in someone's life. So can you. I'm picking on high schoolers, but I, I love you guys. So that's what we believe. Now, each one of those beliefs has an intentional choice that you make each day. So that's why we read this, that a follower of Jesus has these intentional choices. It's not just something you don't like fall into trusting Jesus. You actually have to make a choice. So let's read this together. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God, choosing to be changed by Jesus, choosing to seek Jesus first, and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. 
So last week in the story of Jonah, Jonah is stuck in the belly of the whale, and we read about how Jonah, for the first time, makes a choice, and that intentional choice is to be changed by God. That's where we are in Jonah's story. So I'm going to spend the next 15 minutes um, kind of summing up where we are in Jonah's story, and then we only have five verses to do today, so should we, we should be out before one o'clock, no problem. Um, <laughs> Now, I was talking with a friend, my friend Dominic, last week, and he said, he said last week, Andy, before you, you, you started preaching, and then like five minutes into it, you said, oh, yeah, I forgot to pray. And Dominic says, he was telling me this, it's fascinating. He goes, every single week I come into church and I have 65 things come, I, you know, what's the football score? I got a call. I, what's my Costco list? I got to do this. I got to do that. And then he says, Andy, every time you pray for like silence or peace, then all of a sudden I'm there. And, I, and then last week when... When you didn't pray, I'm freaking out. I'm going, I'm not going to be able to pay attention to the sermon. And then you prayed and everything was okay. So, so can I, evidently it works. So can I pray for us? Okay. Lord Jesus, we give you this time. This is your time, Jesus, to speak to us. And so we silence everything opposed to Christ that would be trying to interfere with this time now in Jesus' name. We pray for your protection all around us, Lord Jesus. Bring peace and a calm to our spirit, to our mind, to our hearts. This is your time, Jesus. Send your angels to help. And all God's people said. Amen. So there's two words that are really important in the Christian life. These are words that, that we practice every day as followers of Jesus. We're never going to get perfect at them but we practice them every day. And the two words are repentance and to follow. So let's first take the word repentance. Repentance is an action word. It means two things at the same time. It means that if you're heading one way, that you'd stop, turn around, and then head the other way. Does that make sense? So you're heading one way. Repentance is, is that you would... How about this? I'm heading my way. And repentance is I stop, I turn around, and then I start going God's way. Amen. That's repentance. It's a choice. But the choice to stop doing something only lasts as long as you have battery life in your willpower. Now, my willpower is like, a, like an iPhone version 2, where you have to keep it plugged in at all times. Like you unplug the phone, and it goes from 98% battery life to 4 when you check one text message, right? That's how much willpower I have. Some of you are better. Some of you, your battery lasts all day long. Some of you... I don't know, you have like battery extra pack boost. You're always plugged into an external power source or something. Your willpower lasts a week. You can literally make, like I said, my wife, like she's like, I'm going to start doing something. I'm going to stop doing something. And then like, like she does it. It's crazy, right? It's like, what is going on? Like she's got willpower. And then there's like a rare breed. There's like two or three of you. And I know who you are. You're like, you're that determined, committed type. 
right? You're the A-type personality. I'm going to do this until I die. <laughs> and then you, like, you can last a month. It's incredible. It's amazing. So that's, so the willpower, we can make a choice just on our own power to stop doing something and start doing something else, to repent. But, but the thing is, is that if you want lasting change, you actually have to, if you want to stop doing something, you, the way that you stop doing that thing is to start doing something far better. Does that make sense? You have to... Imagine if you had water in a glass that was dirty. The way that you get the water out of the glass is that you pour clean water in until all of the dirty water is pushed out. That's how change happens. That's how change lasts. You, you replace the bad thing that you're doing with something far better. So repentance is replacing your rebellion with something way, way better. It's talking to and trusting Jesus so that you can start doing the things that God has you to do, which are way more joyful than your rebellion. Following God is about increasing the amount of joy that you have in your life. You picking up what I'm putting down? That's repentance. So this is exactly where we find Jonah in his story. God gave Jonah a message to proclaim, Jonah 1.1, to a people that he hated, the Ninevites, the Assyrians. And so Jonah said, you know what, God, you're crazy. He rejected the message. He runs from God. And he doesn't talk to God. He doesn't trust God. He just starts running down, 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 down from the mountain of Jerusalem, down to the Sea of Joppa, into the sea, and then down to the bottom of the sea, where finally God gets his attention and has him stay still. And at the belly of the fish, the bottom of the ocean, he finally starts talking to God. And this is what Jonah says to God. Read with me. Jonah chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. This is where we left off last week. Those who cling... Okay, so this is the first thing that Jonah says. Now, these are the two things that all Christians say. The first is this, that those who cling to worthless idols turn away for, from God's love for them. So every time I turn... I cling to a good thing, asking it to do God's job. I've made it an idol. And that's a worthless endeavor. And what I'm doing when I ask chocolate or Netflix or something I watch on the television or the computer or greed or vanity, when I ask those things to do God's job, then you know what happens? I stop receiving God's love and that is a worthless endeavor. Now I know that you know that your spouse is doing this and your kids are doing this and that your neighbors are doing this. You've properly diagnosed everybody else in your life. The Christian says, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. Verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I'll make good. Okay, God, I'll obey. I'll follow directions now. And then every Christian says this. Salvation comes from the Lord. So again, if you were to translate in that in modern English, it'd go like this. I'm clinging to worthless idols and it's killing me. 
Jesus, you're the only one who can save me. Salvation only comes from you. So repentance starts first with Jonah in his heart. Because he can't do anything. He can't go anywhere. He's stuck in the belly of a whale, slowly digesting, being digested, right? It's hard to turn around when you're stuck. But Jonah can turn around in his heart, and he does that. And he can talk to God, and he does that. Jonah doesn't realize it, but the fish has already turned him around and is now swimming back to the shore that he fled a while ago. And so God is helping Jonah, and, it, and the next verse is wonderful comedy. Here it is. Ready? And the Lord commanded the fish, and it bleh, Jonah onto dry land. It's just a great image. I'm imagining a shallow sandbar. This great fish beaches itself on the shallow sandbar and Jonah is ejected. <laughs> right? It's just, how does Jonah smell? You know? It's like, I've got to get a new change of clothes. Can you imagine the heads that turned when Jonah stumbled into the village? Oh my gosh, what is that? Here's the point. Any time that you say no to God, God counters that with his yes to you. The mystery and the wonder of the good news, the gospel, is that while we are sinners, while I'm a sinner, while I'm in rebellion, that's when Jesus dies for me. While I was an enemy, not after I had gotten my act together, while I'm an enemy, God says yes to Andy Rock. And he says yes by sending his one and only son to trade places with my sin, to die for me who rejects him, so that I would begin to trust this God who is head over heels in love with me and have an an everlasting life that starts right now and continues for all eternity. And when I get twisted up in knots, when I start believing shame that says, oh, you're just not enough, you're not worthy, you've messed up, when I doubt who I am and, and what I've done, when fear creeps in and covers me like a blanket, <clears throat> I, I can remember still Jesus loves me, still Jesus chooses me, still Jesus comes after me. That's our hope. Amen? So Jonah says no to God, and God pursues Jonah and leads him to repentance. And because God is leading Jonah to repent, because Jonah finally relents and hands his life over to God, the instant that Jonah prays that, he's vomited up onto the shore. It's a wonderful thing. It's beautiful. I have, there's, there's hope in fish puke. <laughs> Ready? Here it is. God will bring you to the place he wants you to be. Your obedience makes the journey more pleasant. How many of us know what our, how unpleasant our disobedience is? Come on, be honest. Come on, come on. This is church, y'all. 
God will bring you to the place he wants you to be. Your, obedient make, your obedience makes the journey more pleasant, but even in your rebellion, God's sovereignty and love for you will ensure that God's plan for your life is accomplished. Yeah. That's right. The second word of the Christian life is follow. To follow Jesus is our yes after God says yes to us. It's our yes. Eugene Peterson, the great author of The Message and numerous books, writes this. We have renounced self-initiative for Jesus' obedience. We have renounced clamoring assertions and replaced them with quiet listening. We watch Jesus work. Eugene is talking about how we say yes to God. We listen to Jesus speak, keeping company with Jesus, observing what he does and listening to what he says, develop into a life of answering God, a life of responding to God, which, read this with me, is a life of prayer. That's our yes to God, is a life of listening to and talking to God, a life of prayer. A life of prayer is not a robotic movement. You don't start and end your prayers in rote memorization all times. It's not a magic formula. If prayer was a magic formula where you had to say the right words and then you pull the lever in Jesus' name and out comes what you want, you know what that is? That's called magic. Magic is saying the right words in the right order, and then you get what you want. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about prayer. Prayer is when I start engaging in a relationship with God. I start listening to him, and he listens to me as I share about my life. So following Jesus is, is talking with Jesus. It's being in connection with him. And what I find is as I'm connecting with Jesus each and every day, certain things become illuminated. He says that he's a light unto our feet. So what does that mean? Well, it means that as we read scripture, as we listen to the Holy Spirit talking to us, as we worship that God starts illuminating things that are directly in front of us, that God is going to give you very practical guidance. Like John and Jody are going to know what to do this week. God is going to give you practical guidance in your life. He's going to open doors. He's going to close doors. But just as important, the Holy Spirit is going to keep on helping you confess your own sin. Not everyone else's sin. That's called gossip. I know, we're all really good at confessing everybody else's sin. But the Holy Spirit is going to say, no, no, let's confess your own. And the Holy Spirit is going to deliver me from fear so I don't have to do it on my own. And most importantly, the Holy Spirit is going to show me new ways to go that I never even imagined. Now, I never wanted to be the pastor of this church. I wanted to do something much better, like... um, be a professor or be a hospital chaplain. That was my goal. My goal was to never be a senior pastor. But the only job that let us move to California in 2012 was to be the assistant or the associate pastor 
and San Luis Obispo. So sure, do I want to live on the Central Coast? <laughs> Amen. Yes, I do. I don't care how much money they're not going to pay me, right? I don't like they're. So after five years, though, my boss was a was not a pleasant man to work with, and I added to that equation um, lots of vanity, pride, resentment, and anger. Uh, wonderful combination, um, and uh, very pastoral, and. And so I, I, I was done after five years, and I put my, my, my resume in to Costco, and I put my resume in to, to Morro Bay Police Department, and I thought, if I, you know, maybe if I get a taser, then I, I could tr you know, stop him one day. I was dreaming about a traffic stop and pulling him over and like, you know, doing the old, I'm going to break your taillight, and then step out of the car, sir. You know? I was such a good Christian, <laughs> so qualified for ministry. And then this church hired me, and I thought, well, you know, 60 people on a Sunday, I'll, I'll do a funeral for a church. Why not? You know, and Costco can wait. And uh, so let me, just, let me just paint the picture here. What I thought would be the best thing for my life was, was to entertain my resentments. That was the greatest vision I had for me. And now look at where God has brought me in this church. Look, you y'all have loved us back to life. Like, I wouldn't be me unless I had you loving me back to life. And now look at our little church. Like, what is happening here? Like, the Holy Spirit is here every week. God is doing amazing things in your life every week. God has blessed us with His presence every week. I mean, the last church on the Central Coast that anybody thought, like, God would move in would be the little tiny Presbyterian church in Grover Beach. Right? I mean, we all know that about Presbyterians. Right? Their goal is to only decline by 8% a year, right? Not even joking. <laughs> Seriously, the denomination nationally, that's their goal this year. Wow. So, can I just say, to end that little story, that God's way for your life is way better than your way? Amen. That God's vision for your life is way better than your vision for your life? That when we're at this place of repentance, like we're so freaked out that if I stop actually, you know, like getting what I want all the time that, and I actually start going God's way and that he'll give me something worse. And I'm here to tell you it's way better. Like Christians are basically hedonists, right? Life with Jesus is 10 times more pleasurable, a hundred times, a thousand times more pleasurable than me trying to be my own God. That's where Jonah is. So what do we do practically? Jonah has been, Jonah's in the belly of the whale, and so what does Jonah do? Will Jonah stay present? I think the biggest temptation that you and I face when we're confronted with what's going on in our life is, is to run. Sometimes we just leave physically. Sometimes it's emotionally. The other temptation is to just start blaming everybody else. And I get it. 
the people around you in your life, they have serious problems. <laughs> like they're messed up. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I know your friends and family. Like y'all, I pray for you every day. Yeah. Right? Like I know who your spouse is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right? But I, that's, I can't do anything about them. I can't do anything about you. The only thing I can do is, is be present with me. And that's what a Christian does. I mean, the things that we don't like about obnoxious churches is when everybody confesses everybody else's sins. The most powerful witness that we have as a church is to confess our own stuff. Amen. And that takes courage. And that takes trust. That takes you being present. It takes you not running away, but you staying right here. So what do you do practically? Well, you stay put. And you talk about what you're doing that's not working. Read with me. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This, this sounds familiar, right? Remember, next slide, John. Remember this? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's 3.1. Verse 1.1. One, one. Read it with me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Yeah. Don't worry. Don't mispronounce that word. Don't worry about it. It's the same, it's the same verse. Why? Because God is always going to give you a second chance. That's why. Now, here's something important about second chances in, with God. It would be cruel of God to give you a second chance and you would just be destined to fail all over again because you failed the first time, right? So the second time, if, like, if God just said, oh, here, try again, they'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't do it the first time. What makes you think I can do it the second or the 30th time? But here's the miracle of the gospel is that between verse 1 1 and 3 1, God has changed Jonah. And this is what happens God is going to transform you and change you so that when He gives you the second chance, oh, it's going to be so much different because you've changed. So, what has God given Jonah a second chance to do? Verse 2. Ready? Here goes. Let's read together. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Yes, Jonah, you're a Jew. Go to Berlin, 1941. Proclaim it the message I'm going to give you. This is not easy. Now, that doesn't take away the reality that you right now have a calling. You. Like I'm looking at you, I mean it, you. You have a calling. You have a place to, to serve at this church. I know Paul needs sign-ups. Right? Like you have a place to serve at this church, but you have a people that God has called you to serve right now. Could be your family. Could be your neighbors. Could be your friend groups. Could be the kids at school. It could be the people that you work with. Right? You have a, you have a group of people. It could be people that share your own story, the place of your wounding or your heartache. Right? You have a calling on your life, just like Jonah. 
So Jonah is called to a place that rarely we are called to. Jonah is, placed, is called to go to this place, Nineveh. Now, um, do you remember this guy named Noah? He was a boat builder. He had a great-grandson. That grand, great-grandson, um, his name was Nimrod. It's a great dog's name or a cat's name. I always, when I grew up, was that an insulting? Absolutely. Yeah, if you're a Nimrod. Don't be a Nimrod. Well, why, why is Nimrod such a bad guy in the Bible? It's because he, he starts this great city. Do you know what the name of that great city is? Nineveh. And in that great city, ironically, horrible th things are done greatly. They were really efficient at being bad. They excelled at being horrible. They were great in that really nefarious way. The thing about Nineveh is that the longer that a city rips each other apart and rips other people apart, it starts, a hard heart always develops cracks. A hard heart always develops cracks. And so Jonah has showed up in Nineveh's history after it had a major earthquake, after there's been famine, and people are sick and tired of their tyrant king and the horrible things that he's doing. That's when Jonah shows up in Nineveh's history. So let's read what Jonah does. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Oh my gosh, he didn't run. He actually did it. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. So, just like L.A., right? It's a big city. Not, not a Rio Grande. We're a small city. It's a big city. It takes three days to walk through. But there's been that phrase, three days, in Jonah so far. Do you remember what it referred to? Yeah, it's how long he was in the belly of the whale. What the author is saying is this, is that that was hell when Jonah was in the belly of the well. So when it took three days to walk around Nineveh, basically the author is saying Nineveh is its own special kind of hell and Jonah is walking through it. Verse 4, read with me. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's the world's shortest sermon. In Hebrew, it's six words, five, if you want to be uh, generous. And uh, in men's Bible study this week, Dan was saying, the message is this, turn or burn, right? <laughs> so just imagine Jonah's walking through the city, and it's awful. It's like walking through hell, and he's got one message from God. 40 more, God says, 40 more days, and all y'all are going to get it. But that word overthrown is important, and that word 40 more days is important. So if, we, if you entertain me, I'll just take two minutes on each. Forty days the rain fell in Noah's day. Forty years Moses spent as a shepherd as he learned to trust God. Forty days Moses spent with God on Mount Sinai. Forty years in the wilderness Israel wandered. Forty stripes with the whip was the sentence for a guilty man or woman. Forty days in the wilderness, Jesus fasted. Forty is the number of two things. It's the number of judgment, and it's also the number of change. Yeah. 
and transformation. So pay attention to that. Second word, overthrown. Overthrown is a Hebrew word. It's too uh, hard to pronounce. It, it, to be honest with you, um, it sounds like a, a curse word when, when you pronounce it correctly. And so we're not going to do that on a Sunday morning. I would lose you instantly. Um, so this word overthrown is the same word that's used when Sodom and Gomorrah is overthrown. That's when they're like wiped off the face of the earth, destroyed. But there's an, another secondary meaning to the word overthrown. And it's not just means destroy. It also means transformation. So Jonah is preaching to the Assyrians this message in his heart. In 40 days, God's going to crush you. But what he's actually saying is this. You have a season right now in which God is going to transform you and renew you. You picking up what I'm putting down? Sometimes the message that we have for judgment is the message of actual transformation. Sometimes the things that, that happen in our life, they feel awful, but God is going to use them for our transformation. And so Jonah's walking through and he's like, oh man, I see all of the bad things. I know what these people are doing. This is it. 40 days. I just got to wait 40 days and my mortal enemies are going to burn. Let's read together. The Ninevites believe God. Wait, wait, wait. You got to say that with a lot more like, say what? Ready? Here we go. The Ninevites believe God. A fast was proclaimed and how many? From the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Can you imagine if you were Jonah? All y'all going to be overthrown. And then all of a sudden, revivals just started breaking out. People are going, oh, he's right. And they start repenting. They start putting on sackcloth, which means they start praying. They start saying, God, I'm lost and I need you and I can't fix myself anymore. The people that Jonah wrote off are the people that God saves. Here's the point. Look, there's never a point in which you're too lost to be redeemed. Now let me say something even more poignant. You have people in your life that you've written off. That you've said, God can't save them. So I'll stop talking to them. I'll stop praying for them. I'll stop reaching out to them. And that's not true. If God can save you, he can save anybody. Amen? Amen. Amen. The Ninevites didn't respond because Jonah preached a great sermon. They repented and turned around. They started following God because of God. But here's the true miracle of the gospel. Here's what God does to save you. God humbles himself, and it's way beyond sackcloth and ashes. It's way beyond heading into the depth of the sea and the belly of the fish. God becomes a human being, born into our poverty and disgrace on the hillbilly edge of the Roman Empire. 
God the Son, Jesus, our Savior, then humbles himself by living a life that you and I are supposed to live but can't. By serving you and I when we're enemies, when we're against God, by dying for us on the cross. And you and I are Jonah. We're the Christians who are disobedient and yet God still pursues us. And you and I are the Ninevites. We're the godless pagans who deserve bad things, and yet we are shown mercy and love by the God of the universe. Why? Because he loves you. Because God is head over heels in love with you. He adores you. Like he's fond of you. He has your name written on his hand. He has your face engraved in his palm. He knows you. He loves you. He will never, ever let you go. You are precious in his sight. So you have a choice today. Just like you have a choice tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But all we have is today, so let's make a choice. Could we make the choice to repent and follow. Could we be like the Ninevites? Where, where we say, okay, I'll stop and I'll turn and now I'm going to go God's way. Could we do that? Yes. Do you want to repent, to trust Jesus and start following Him? Yes. I'm asking you a question and, 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 and I'm not, this isn't like a church moment where you just say, oh, I got to say amen now. Oh, okay. Like every answer is Jesus. No, I'm actually asking you to make a decision because I'm going to pray in like two seconds and, and I'm asking you to make that decision in your heart because the first place that we repent is, is before we start moving, it's in our heart. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here this morning. I'm watching my friends wriggle uncomfortably in their seats because what we're talking about here, God is, is confessing something that's difficult. So God, we confess to you that the way that we are going isn't working. And then there's an area of our life and you've been talking to us about it. You've been striving with us. You've been saying, it's time to let go. It's time to give up. It's time to surrender. It's time to stop. And so today we say, we're done. Right now we say, I'm done, Jesus. I let go of this thing that I'm asking to satisfy me. This anger, this resentment, this self-righteousness that's no longer serving me. This pride that's killing me. God, I set it down. God, we set aside the, the lust or the thing that's defiling us. The drink or the food that is poisoning us. And Jesus, we now turn to you. You are the thing that's way better that can satisfy our hearts. We trust you.
Thank you for loving us when we're a complete mess. We now place our heart in your hands. We surrender all to you, Jesus. We surrender. And all God's people said,